0: Hi, and welcome back to Foreign Office. I'm Michael Weiss, Director of Special Investigations at the Free Russia Foundation, as well as News Director at New Lines Magazine. Um, Right now, I am joined by my good friend, uh, Alexander Sherba. He is the uh, former Ukrainian ambassador to Austria and a true patriot, and um, uh, somebody I've known for almost, what, nine years now, Sasha. Uh, We've had many... um, Many long-searching conversations, both in Europe, in, in Vienna, in fact, and in, uh, in Kyiv. Uh, and I thought nobody better to to bring on. He's in Ukraine now. I'm not going to say where uh, for his safety, but uh, he was in Kyiv up until about a week ago. Uh, he's been an outspoken presence on social media, Twitter in particular. And Sasha, it's great to, to see you. Uh, I'm sorry it's under these circumstances, but then again, you know, I feel like you better than most, are a a perfect spokesperson for the plight of your country and what's happening. and more to the point, what Ukraine needs right now from the West. Um, I, I assume you watched President Zelensky's address to Congress, which is very poignant, and you know he got a standing ovation, and he made some very explicit requests ending on the note that, you know, Joe Biden can be, quote, leader of the world instead of just leader of the nation, which seemed to be kind of a barbed criticism of America's perhaps lethargic support for Ukraine. What, what are your impressions here? What can we be doing more of or better?
1: Just uh, these uh, last three weeks, they showed uh, that how, how long, it's, it has been three weeks, yeah, that Ukraine is uh, capable, ready and fearless enough to fight our own war. We don't need other people to fight our war what we need is uh, support support uh, first of all in military uh, sphere support with arms uh, support uh, in political sphere actually all kinds of support is important as i said in one of my recent interviews uh, hugs are important i mean words are important Just everything is important right now because uh, quite frankly, especially in the first uh, week or two weeks of this war, uh, just to see how awake the world uh, was about everything that was happening with Ukraine, it was just a revelation for me and it was extremely moving. And people, even people not speaking English, uh, know that something big is happening outside and it's something in our favor. You used to be
0: ambassador to Austria, and I saw today, it seems like Putin and and his regime are climbing down a little bit, um, perhaps with the recognition that they're not doing as well militarily as they thought they would, certainly as they were promised by the Russian general staff. I mean, I don't have to go into details. I've been kind of saying this till I'm blue in the face at, at all the Russian personnel and equipment losses in the field. As the former ambassador to Austria, what do you make of this, this demand that there can be some kind of peace settlement if Ukraine adopts a, a policy of neutrality akin to that of Austria? <laughs> it doesn't seem to me, from my experience reporting in Kyiv, that Ukrainians want to be anything like uh, like Austria or, or certainly Vienna, which has become a, a hub of international espionage and Russian influence peddling. The world over um i, I mean I, how do you see this playing out first of all let, maybe i can even get your your opinion on do you think that russia is losing this campaign that ukraine is winning it
1: yeah absolutely that's the big difference uh, the different context i mean the neutrality was imposed on austria because austria lost uh, was a part of the third Reich and it lost the war uh, uh, it doesn't feel like we are losing this war quite frankly uh, no matter what uh, Many, many journalists uh, are writing about, you know, desperate mood in Ukraine and in Kyiv being circled and so on and so forth. Um, it's not the mood on the ground. I mean, people cry a lot. People are, the, the amount of uh, suffering is just uh, incomprehensible, especially in Kharkiv, in Chernihiv. But just. Right now, I watched this video: people losing their homes and uh, uh, finding and spending their days and nights in bomb shelter in Kharkiv. They're singing Ukrainian uh, songs, and they are mm, they are defiant uh, in the face of this uh, darkness that came upon uh, Ukraine, upon Europe, upon the world. It doesn't feel like we are in the same situation as Austria was after the World War II. Austrians are very fond of this uh, concept, Uh, unlike, for instance, uh, Finns or even uh, Swedes. I once uh, uh, spoke to um, my Finnish colleague in Vienna, uh, and I mentioned that um, you are um, uh, neutral like Austrians, and he was offended. He says, actually, yeah, we try not to use this, uh, you know, reference anymore, neutrality. We are in the European Union. Uh, Austrians are not like that. Austrians are a proud, uh, neutral uh, country. They think that uh, neutrality is the secret of uh, happiness. I don't, uh, I don't bother you, you don't bother me. That's, uh, that's what you Ukrainians should have been doing a long time ago, and you should learn from us. Uh, what they don't understand is actually the uh, relationship between Ukraine and Russia, a relationship that was very uh, put on display very bluntly um, during this uh, uh, February twenty-first uh, speech by Putin, uh, basically saying that uh, Ukrainians, uh, Ukrainian state has failed. Ukrainians have shown uh, shown that they are incapable uh, of you know creating. Uh, and having own state and so on and so forth. It was like 50 minutes of getting, uh, you know, slapped in the face. So, and this is not just a speech. This is the the context. This is the uh, relationship between these two countries. This is the attitude. And with this kind of uh, neighbor who thinks and who declares that uh, you are not a real country, you are part of us, it's kind of difficult to be neutral. (laughs) It's kind of, we draw parallels more to Israel right now. Uh, We are in a hostile environment. We have to somehow survive. So, yeah, that's the the, uh, background. On the other hand, we understand, uh, and uh, to me it was understandable for quite some time, that NATO membership is a matter of two things. First, of readiness, and second, of courage. We Ukrainians have the courage. NATO doesn't have the courage. NATO didn't have the courage and it doesn't uh, by far now uh, the west is scared by the whole, by, by this whole situation so the nato membership well uh, it's uh, if 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 anything it became more distant uh, in the last 3 weeks and it's the new reality
0: well but you know you see ukrainians joking now that uh, we will accept we have an open door policy for nato to join the ukrainian military <laughs> i mean Whatever happens, uh, Sasha, I mean, uh, from, from where I'm sitting, Ukraine can call itself a poached egg to satisfy Moscow and it's, its sort of ridiculous rhetorical requirements at this point. But the fact of the matter is there is going to be a and deepened and entrenched security cooperation between Kyiv and all of the West including NATO, NATO member states, uh, the United States military will be studying Ukraine's military performance in this war for generations. In fact, I mean, everything we know, or much of what we know about um, Russia's uh, battalion tactical group posture was learned by close study of the way that Ukraine fought Russia in 2014 and 2015. I I, I posted to Twitter a very good granular analysis written by, uh, I think, a captain uh, at Fort Benning, um, about exactly that, and now Ukraine's experience on the battlefield in the last three weeks—I mean, it's 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 almost like you've compressed decades of of history. It does feel that way, yeah, into the space of less than a month. You know, and uh, I mean, I look—I I am I, fully confident that Ukraine is going to emerge from this crisis with um, the kind of relationship it has been seeking for the last eight years, whether that means full membership in the European Union, or just as I say, very close and intricate security defense cooperations. I don't see how Russia is going to bring Ukraine completely to heel. Absent, and and here's where I perhaps get a bit gloom and doomy and pessimistic, absent Putin really doing something insane, like deploying a weapon of mass destruction. Although, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like He knows now that he's losing the conventional battle. He's, in a way, uh, if you take these kind of statements about a prospective ceasefire and new demands for for a peace settlement uh, at face value, which I don't know that that's wise to do given Russia's history with respect to other conflicts, such as Syria, but it does seem like he is aware now that he cannot win by conventional means. And, you know, that leaves him with two options. He's got to basically climb down um, and back away from this catastrophe of his own Making or double down and escalate in a way that may not even work out for him in the end. So,
1: I mean, let me. What do you? Can I ask you how please? how do you see him deploying a nuclear weapon in Ukraine? Would he erase Kiev or Kharkiv, or would he just blow the bomb somewhere in the field and the whole cloud would move in in definite direction? What what's what's the end game for him?
0: the radiation will affect most of Europe. Um, it would be a, 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 a grievous act of not just war against Ukraine, but against the entire European continent. And frankly, I think at that point, NATO will be forced to have to intervene in some manner. You know, now the question of chemical weapons, some biological agents, these things have also been raised. But I'm seeing a lot of expert commentaries, you know, throwing cold water on this idea. They're, they're very skeptical that, that he's going to do it. Now, as far as, look, I mean, my question, and I put this to you, you know, the, 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 the worst case scenario for Kyiv is he tries to turn it into another Grozny or Aleppo or indeed Kharkiv, but where is his trophy, where is his prize if he does that, you know, he will have destroyed the capital city, a capital which he has banged on about for many years as sort of essentially the birthplace of Russian civilization, let alone Ukrainian. According by his own lights, by his own revisionist and chauvinist uh, rewriting of history, Ukrainians and Russians are one people. So his legacy is now a catastrophic and devastating civil war in which he's killed his own people, again, according to Putin's definition. He's going to, you know, St. Michael's is gonna be on fire. This is is what he wants to achieve. He's gonna burn the whole city to the ground. I mean, unless he's truly gone mad and I don't quite credit that assumption either, I just don't see how that's strategically in the offing for him. He cannot take it by simply marching in columns. I mean, you know, everybody in Kyiv, from what I understand, I have reporters on the ground. Everybody's got an in-law or a javelin or a Panzerfaust anti-tank system. I mean, this is gonna be a graveyard for Russians if they try to roll down
1: Khrushchev, yeah? I mean, you were just there, give me your impression. Absolutely, he cannot win face-to-face, that's for sure. Uh, even if he bombards Kiev and turns it into Aleppo, well, uh, of course, it will be a huge part uh, of his legacy. I think he is thinking about his legacy and destroying the mother of Russian cities, as uh, Kiev is historically uh, called, uh, is kind of a doubtful legacy, quite frankly, even for uh, a doubtful guy like Putin. But again, uh, the the reason why uh, Ukrainians till the last moment didn't believe uh didn't buy the idea of this war because this war is is just uh, stupid it, it, it there is no winning for putin he for his legacy it would be catastrophic for you know uh, he cannot make Ukraine uh, uh, like him uh now he's getting ukrainians to hate Russia although until recently half of ukrainians were actually seeing Russia still as brotherly nation. So just it's it's insane. The very idea of this war is insane. Plus, of course, Ukraine is ready to fight. 200,000 people with combat experience with weapons on their hands, uh, partly very good weapons that are being supplied by the West. So it's an insane war. <laughs> with no winning uh, in the end uh, for Putin., uh, but it was like this in the in the beginning. Uh, and so uh, again, I, I communicate from time to time with uh, some of my friends in Moscow who, yeah,
0: you're you're seeing cracks now in the in the Putinist edifice for lack of a better term. I mean, leaks coming from the FSB allegedly leaks that have saved Zelensky's life from assassination plots, whether or not that's a very clever Ukrainian psychological operation or just true, we, we don't know. But I mean, I've seen some evidence that indeed, like the Lubyanka is not happy with this war, especially because Putin is now blaming them, including the Fifth Service for the way it's gone sideways. Uh, people are now resigning from state television. We saw one woman, a producer, I, I forget what her role was basically photobomb a live broadcast on Channel One. Yeah, I mean, and this is the thing that that sort of I, I've been discussing with with friends who covered the, the last eight years of war. You know, I was in Kyiv five weeks ago trying to get a handle on why everybody seemed to think that the U.S. intelligence assessments of an imminent or likely invasion made no sense. And I talked to everybody from Danilov, the head of the Security Council, to members of the RADA, including one cyborg who fought in Donetsk airport. And the the answer was, as you say, this would be so stupid. Ukrainians got the war wrong, but for the right reason. We were in the West looking on your country saying, oh, those poor Ukrainians, it's like the film, don't look up, they're being so naive. But actually, it's I think we were the ones that were naive because we did not give you enough credit to know your own country, to know your own resiliency and resolve, and also to know your enemy better than we do. I mean, one of the things I've noticed in the last three weeks is, I don't really want to listen to what American officials have to say anymore. You know, maybe I'll listen to the UK because the defense ministry does a pretty good presentation on a daily basis. I talk to the Estonians, the Balts, former countries that belong to the, not belong, that were forcibly annexed by the Soviet Union or Warsaw Pact nations because they, for the last 30 years, have had one existential crisis, one national, preternatural national security concern and obsession. Guess what it is, Right. So they're gonna understand the, the Russian military, the Russian intelligence services a lot better than we do. And again, I think Ukraine needs to be the tutor to the West of understanding in, in the Kremlin.
1: You should understand uh, also Russians weren't buying the idea of this war. Exactly. I mean, even the intercepts of the soldiers that we have, even the soldiers, officers are absolutely puzzled by it. I spoke to, uh, actually I speak, I speak every almost every day with my mother-in-law who is ethnic Russian. Until the last day, she was just laughing, laughing about this idea. It just the very idea of of Russia and Ukraine being at such a blowout war was uh, laughable for her. So it's it wasn't only us uh, and uh, Bolts who even Russians were. It's just stupid war.
0: Yeah, I mean, look. What was your question? (laughs) (laughs) No, that 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 was sort of it. I mean, I've been trying to understand why we got it so wrong and by we i mean you know the kind of american political and media establishment to which i unfortunately belong <laughs> you know
1: we got it wrong because because we all thought that putin was rational because we all thought that putin was smart and it turns out that he is uh is smart and rational in a very irrational you know coordinates system of coordinates i mean Uh, He is rational in the world where America destroyed Soviet Union, although America actually did everything to prevent, you know, we we all remember this chicken key of speech by George Bush and so on and so forth. He lives in a reality where every change of government uh, by uh, people who uh, don't want uh, to see the same person 20 years long as a president or prime minister is an America-inspired putsch. And so on and so forth he is very rational in a very irrational system of coordinates and we just uh, miscalculated that we thought that he was just rational in a conventional conventional yeah side.
0: i saw you gave another interview uh and i, I know it, i'm loath to ask you to kind of relitigate what you told another journalist but it must be very uh dispiriting for you as ukrainian in ukraine you know your country on fire Offending off this invasion to see certain American stakeholders, particularly media types, essentially carry water for Putin and the Kremlin. Um, whether it's by denying the existence of Ukrainian statehood or peoplehood to begin with, which is straight up, you know, Russian propaganda, or indeed saying, you know, I would root for Putin, and under these circumstances, why should America care? This will lead to World War Three, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I'm not going to be uh, cowardly here. I'll, I'll name some names: Tulsi Gabbard former congresswoman uh, Tucker Carlson on Fox News I mean in a way America and and I'm this is by no means an, an original insight America has become more like Russia in the last 5 or 6 years certainly under the last president but there's some cultural hangovers you know not just on the right but on the left as well how does this strike you I mean cuz you know in Ukraine obviously people have traditionally well at least since 2014 looked westward and said we want more of that we want to be part of this kind of um, global community or or international transatlantic community, I should say. What do Ukrainians make of this? Like Americans who essentially are, it it goes beyond useful idiocy. I think this is a a cliched and outmoded term. There there needs to be another term for it. And I'm not creative creative enough to come up with.
1: No, uh, I wrote an article about it uh, last August uh, and uh, I titled it Globalization of Evil. Um, and uh, the idea of the article is that we somehow uh, go through uh, a globalization 2.0. globalization. The first globalization was um, was the world's Americanization, so people are you know enjoying more freedom, more connectivity, more you know courage, looking into future, and so on and so forth. And globalization num- number two is Russification of the world. <laughs> now I see, I look at Tucker Carlson, I look at uh, Tulsi, and uh, I see uh, people who think like Russians, who uh, talk like Russians, who um, are indifferent, uh, uh, cold, uh, cynical, like uh, the talking heads in in the Russian TV. And it's frustrating because I love America and I love America in the way uh, John McCain loved it, uh, saying uh, it's not a place, but an idea worth fighting for. Um, and when uh, uh, Fox News says, uh, "Well, we have uh, uh, mono Doctrine, um, and that that means that uh, uh, we are not uh, going outside uh, our hemisphere," then it's not a place. It's, a, it's it's not an idea. It's a place. It's a complete different idea uh, concept of, of the United States. And I still hope uh, that uh, uh, these people don't represent the majority of the country because. It would be very sad if, uh, if, if, if the American experiment would end with such a whimper.
0: Well, what do you, I mean, you know, from, from your vantage point, because I, I try to get a handle on this myself and I, I keep coming up empty. What is the motivation here? Because I can understand during the Soviet period, you know, fellow travelers, card carrying communists believed in Moscow as the future right? I mean, that socialism was going to sweep away capitalism and, you know, all the vestiges of Western decadence and degradation, and it would be the emancipation of the the international working class. Fine. I get that. That's an ideology. There is no ideology to Putin other than steal all the money and fuck the West, right? He stands in antithesis to liberal democracy, you know, the the international norms, whatever kind of euphemistic term you want to have for you know, what what the West is meant to sort of embody in terms of its, its set of ideals and tenets. There is no coherent ideology, though, to Putinism. So is this just people who hate their own country, their own society, and their own community, the places where they live, and are just kind of angry, snarling reactionaries? Or do they actually look to Russia and see something worth having, like some kind of civilizational virtue? I mean, obviously, there are some who... Think that Putin is legitimately as religious as he likes to portray himself—that he's a, a, true God-fearing man and he believes in you know the motherland and patriotism and you know he has no time for transgender this and you know homosexual that and all the rest of it. He's anti-woke, right? Today, today in his speech, he said Russia is being canceled, like taking taking a leaf out of the kind of culture of grievance that exists on the American right now. But is, it, is, is that what you see happening, or do you, I mean, when you talk about the Russification of, of, of the world, what is driving it? Why are so many people drawn to Moscow?
1: Well, it's a, it's a, it's a very big question. Uh, uh, we live in a time, at least until recently, we lived in a time of weak West, uh, of the West. The West used to be based, at least in my perception, on two pillars, first American dream mm-hmm. uh, and second European idea. Mm-hmm. And with time, at least in the last couple of years, maybe a decade, the West stopped or started believing less and less in these two pillars. In well, American dream, the the, the, the concept of America as an idea that would inspire the world. So I don't see it in Tucker Carlson, I don't see it in people in in many, I don't see it in many uh, Hollywood productions, for instance, which portray America as just as cynical and uh, evil as the rest of the world. Uh, Europe, uh, the same, Europe stopped believing in, uh, you know, uh, the European idea, started being more like, uh, you know, a hedged community where uh, There is a certain level of prosperity and uh, rule of law, and they don't care about what happens outside. So uh, the the spirit of the West was weakening, and uh, there was this emptiness in the spirit of the West, in the soul of the West. And um, it was being filled with all kinds of... uh, ideological garbage, you know, including, including what, what Putin was amplifying with, with all his, you know, possibilities and his possibilities were a lot and still are rather, rather considerable. And indeed, indeed, Putin has created some kind of an alternative Europe or was in the process of creating an alternative Europe based on Christian values, although what are the, his Christian values when a girl goes in, in front of the church with uh, the sign uh, sh- 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 shall not kill, or how how is it pronounced right? Uh, yeah, and she gets arrested just the other day. So what kind of uh, Christian values are there, those? Plus it's white, plus it's, uh, you know, you can be all kinds of nationalist and chauvinist and whatever. So it's like uh, for many, I think for many uh, people in the West, it's like... Uh, Uh, their suppressed dream, you know, where they can be themselves. I think right now this war uh, kills uh, this concept of Russia, even for these people who were thinking about it as some kind of alternative Europe. Uh, So this is a kind of uh, self-destructing for Putin also in in this way. So there is no uh, simple, one simple answer to your question, Uh, but I think Putin... shot himself in the foot or how do you say it right yeah that's exactly it shot himself. yeah uh with, with this war ideologically and i think from now on the west must become uh, more self-confident well look i mean
0: there, there are signs of optimism in all the misery and chaos that we're seeing i mean you, you have um not a fully united europe but certainly a europe that's more united than i would have ever given it credit for i mean the european union Sending weapons to Ukraine, sanctioning oligarchs. Uh, just another yacht was seized in, in Spain. I mean, I knew there was a kind of hinge moment when the Italians started going after like villas in Lake Como. You know, <laughs> the Italians, of all people, are stealing Russian stolen money. But I, my concern or my fear is, you know, however long this war drags on, people will begin to lose interest, their attention spans will contract. Uh, And then all of a sudden, the old kind of forms of cynicism and greed and venality will set back in, right? I mean, everyone will forget Ukraine as this kind of idealistic struggle. And then, you know, that just plays right into Putin's hand again, assuming he survives all of this, which is another question we could get into. I mean, the chances for a palace coup or some kind of uh, assassination plot in Moscow if people really feel like he's destroyed the country. I mean, I, from what I'm, I I gather, a lot of the oligarchs are, are very uneasy with this, because for them, they spent the last 20 years doing exactly what you were just describing, degrading the West by essentially pimping themselves out to the West, peddling Russian influence, Russian money, co-opting and corrupting financial institutions, lawyers, PR firm, Western stakeholders of all varieties, including former heads of state and 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 government. And all of that has now just been torn asunder within the space of three weeks, right? Russia's economy is becoming North Korea. They're an international pariah. Even China, which everyone assumed would be lining up to help Russia, seems to be a bit wishy-washy, feeling very awkward. I saw the embassy got into hot water because they put out a statement praising Ukrainian resistance. So, you know, the, the old line, the, the Kremlin has many towers. It seems like Beijing also has got a few towers of its own here. I mean, do you think that this can endure, this this sense of solidarity and, and I guess, Western coherence?
1: Well, nothing lasts forever, of course. We understand we are not naive here in Ukraine. Um the shock has been too big to to go away too fast. I mean, yeah, maybe in a couple of years. uh, But just to see... uh, I I think many people in the West feel helpless because because, uh, uh, it's so clear. The line between good and evil wasn't uh, uh, as clear as now for quite a while. Uh, I mean, one uh, country just wants to be independent and free and the other country attacks her exactly for this wish, for wishing this, you know, just um, nothing else. Um, um, So um, I think this shock uh, will last. This shock will be a factor for a while, maybe not forever, but for a while. I I cannot imagine um, today's politicians or even their immediate successors to start traveling to Moscow and uh, again, reaching out a friendly hand, playing this uh, old game that have, they have been playing for two decades, actually, with Putin. Um, yeah, but uh, what's important in the end, it would be what happens with Ukraine. Because uh, if Ukraine uh, uh, survives, and it will survive, but if it uh, uh, become successful, it must become successful, then it would be a huge accelerator for all things in Russia. And um, uh, I, I remember uh, Soviet Union falling apart when, when all of a sudden uh, the states started lying too much. When uh, the lines got uh, too long uh, all of a sudden, when uh, the shelves in the stores uh, became especially empty, empty all of a sudden, people don't like that. Uh, and uh, uh, it's just uh, like uh, we like to say that uh, the uh, fight uh, for uh, Russian soul is the fight between the refrigerator and the, the, the TV set. And this could be the case when the refrigerator would be starting, would start winning, and uh, people would start asking questions that would be uncomfortable for Putin.
0: Yeah, to say nothing of the fact that you know mothers are losing their sons in this war. That apparently many of the the sons didn't even know they were going to fight; (laughs) they thought they were on training exercises. Yeah. Well, look, Sasha, I know that you're very busy, and uh, I didn't, you know, I I can't thank you enough for coming on and and talking to me, and um, I'd love to reconnect again uh, as this war. I don't want to use the word progresses because that's a terrible word with respect to any conflict like this. But as it continues, or let's let us hope as it comes to an end swiftly and decisively in Ukraine's favor. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it's always great to have your insights. And also, I, I want to uh, tell my my audience: you wrote a book, a memoir, in fact. Can you talk a little bit about that before we before we close? And where where people can purchase it?
1: Well, the book is titled. Uh, uh, Ukraine versus darkness, uh, undiplomatic thoughts. Uh, it was uh, a result of the pandemic because all of a sudden I had, uh, as ambassador, uh, too much free time on my hands. So I decided to write about Ukraine, trying to explain Ukraine to the world and trying to explain uh, the West uh, to Ukraine. So it goes both directions, uh, and it is a bit like memoir. At least uh, uh, it's based on my experiences as ambassador. In Austria for six and a half years, uh, it, it can be purchased on uh, Amazon. Uh, I think also Barnes and Noble websites. Uh, just 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 Google it.
0: Well, at all your fine book retailers, I'll I'll put out a link when I post this too, so people who want to purchase it can do. Sasha, it's great to talk to you as always, and I'm sure you and I will speak offline. Uh, You've been listening to Foreign Office. My guest is Alexander Sherba, former uh, Ukrainian ambassador to Austria and a good friend of mine uh, over the last many years. So uh, thank you very much for joining and we'll see you next time.